Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, this morning, guys, we're, we're beginning a four-week series. I've already mentioned that. But really, the series are going to be the events in the life of Jesus that really changed everything. See, four separate events that would just blow your mind, but it actually impacted eternity, impacted us. You go, what? Well, before we get into that, in order to feel the weight of Christ's journey to the cross, well, I need to set the stage a little bit. I need to do some work, okay? Because we've got to kind of go back and we've got to talk about some stuff. Now, let me just set the stage this way. It was about two weeks ago. Most of you know we were in Israel. And in Israel, we took a tour. The tour took us to a place called Nazareth. How many of you remember Nazareth, right? Nazareth, you go, oh, yeah, that's where Jesus grew up, right? Jesus was from Nazareth. As a matter of fact, when one of the disciples asked, um, you know, where, where's this Jesus from? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, that's where we went. We went to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus um, basically grew up. Now, we came to Nazareth, right? And as we came into Nazareth, it was really neat. Now, again, we saw the town of Nazareth, but they took us to a place where they reenacted the way it would be like in Jesus' time, right? They had the full-on garb and everything else. And the first place we walked into was a place where a gentleman was actually showing us what it was like to be a carpenter back in Jesus' day. You guys remember what Joseph did for a living? Joseph was Jesus' earthly dad, and he was a carpenter, and so they showed us all their modern tools, right? A lot of the carpenters are like, man, I couldn't do anything without a drill or a hammer. And they showed us how they did all that neat stuff. And we're sitting there going, oh, cool. See, Jesus would have just seen all of this. He would have been a part of it. He would have known how to use the tools. He would have just, he would have just seen his dad grow up. So we went from there and it was like, cool. The next place we moved to, guys, was we actually saw a Hebrew woman, a woman spinning yarn out of lamb's wool. Okay, so she would get yarn and she would just, she would spin. Nathalie actually tried that and, and you can see, maybe you saw the picture on Facebook, but she was spinning. Well, now what's really interesting about, is about the, about the yarn or the clothes that they wear is that you could tell how rich somebody was by the color of clothes they wore. If they had really, you know, bright colors based on the dye, they, oh, wow, whoa, whoa, you got some nice, you know, you got some nice threads there. But if it was just kind of a bland, you know, just a just an off-white color. It was like, oh, you, you don't have much money because that's really, right, it was just kind of the wool. And so we got to see that and kind of go, oh, okay, okay. Then from there, after seeing the carpenter and we seen how they did wool and everything, we moved to a place, guys, that I would like to take some time to explain. You go, why? Because they took us into this room, right? We went into this room and then we saw uh, basically what's known as an olive press, an olive press, right? Now, labor with me for just a moment because it was the olive press, guys, the whole room of the olive press that spoke volumes to Jesus's journey towards the cross, okay? Now, remember, our series is called No Greater Love, right? The journey to the cross. So, so it's a journey. It starts somewhere. Every journey starts somewhere. And right here, I, I was thinking as we went into this olive press and the boy, uh, the, you know, where Jesus grew up, his boyhood town, it started with an olive press. 
And so labor with me for just a moment because I want to show you some things. Most of us, maybe today, if you do or do not, but a lot of us use olive oil for cooking. We've kind of, we've kind of gone away with the vegetable oil and we've used olive oil and you put some olive oil and you make your eggs or whatever you do with a lot of olive oil, okay? Well, again, back in the Middle Eastern time, in the ancient Mediterranean world, it was still very important back then as it is today. See, during the time of Jesus and for a hundred of years before that, the ancient world used olive oil for more than just cooking. You go, what did they use it for? Well, first of all, if you're taking note, they used it for the menorah, right? The menorah was in the temple. Menorah had seven little lampstands. That was the menorah. That was in the temple. But they actually, here's what they would do. They would, they would light the wicks and dip it in olive oil and it would stay that way today. Well, today, many of the Jews, they don't use a menorah in the house. They actually use what they call a Hanukkah menorah. And that actually has nine. So somebody asked me, there, what's the difference between the seven and the nine? One is in the temple. It's the menorah that was lit up in the temple back in Jesus' day. And the other is now what people use for Hanukkah. Okay, so the people of Judea, right, that's what they used a lot of the oil for. But they also like to eat a lot of the olives, right? They use the oil, you know, for a preservative. They actually use the oil. Uh, they would eat the olives and they take the oil and they'd actually use the oil for, well, like lotion, they actually used it a lot. In, in, in there in the Middle East, it's really dry and hot. And if you just didn't put something on, you'd probably just end up like a olive. You know, it's kind of a raisin kind of thing. And so they would take the olive oil and they would use it for their skin care. Now, another thing that olive oil is used for was anointing. Anointing. You go, how so? Well, remember, Jesus was actually described as the uh, anointed one. When you say it's the Mishak or the Christos, it's the anointed one. And if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, do you remember that? Remember Jesus refers to the olive oil as being used for healing. So olive oil was just abundant and it was used in a lot of different ways. It was used for anointing. It was used for healing. It was used for skin care. It was used to light the, the, you know, to light the house. It was used for all kinds of things. And of course, if you go to Israel, guess what? Olive trees would just grow everywhere, right? They're not, they're not really in any specific place. Why? Because they'll thrive in rocky places. They'll thrive in unproductive places. And so if you go to the Mount of Olives there, guess what? There's a lot of olive trees. There's actually a lot of olive trees all over the place. And such was the place of the Garden of Gethsemane. That was just a place of Gethsemane was a lot of olive trees all over. Now, olive trees were abundant all over. And of course, there was this mountain which had a lot of olive trees. And guess what they called it? The Mount of Olives, right? It makes sense, right? Well, there's this mountain. It's the Mount of Olives. And this, this, this huge ridge kind of north and south of Jerusalem. Some sources state that the ridge is 200 feet higher than the Temple Mount. So if you went up to the Mount of Olives and you looked over, you could see the Temple Mount actually there. And Jesus and his disciples would often go to this place called the Mount of Olives. That's where he hung out. That's where he prayed. Um, the Garden of Gethsemane is there. So you've got this big old mountain called the Mount of Olives. But you also have this garden, which has a lot of olive trees that we know as Gethsemane. Now, here's what I want you to catch. 
Here's what I want you to catch, okay? If you're taking notes, the word Gethsemane means oil press. Oil press. So when Jesus went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, you could say that he actually went out to the Garden of the oil press. The oil press, right? And so therefore, when Jesus set out for the garden, he went to the very spot where he could overlook Jerusalem and would begin, guys, the process of agony where actually he would be pressed upon. Pastor, your point? At this point in Gethsemane is where the journey to the cross started. So, I mean, I'm just going, wow, this is crazy. So there we are in Nazareth. You guys still with me? And they take you back in time, okay? They take you back in time, and they're going to say, okay, so here's what we want to show you. We want to show you what an oil press actually looks like, an oil press, right? But how do they get oil? How do you get oil from an olive? How do you get oil? Well, in the ancient worlds, here's the first thing they had to do, okay? They would go to these trees that were ripe with olives, and the first thing that they had to do is they had to shake and beat the tree, Now, modern days, we don't do that. For the most part, we do have some electronic shakers, but they would have to beat the tree literally, and then olives would fall all over the place, okay? And so they would take the olives into the oil press, okay? And now you go, what's an oil press? Well, stage one of an oil press, guys, is this big stone basin with a millstone attached to it. Have you ever seen a millstone? Sometimes you'll see a donkey or, or an animal that will just go around in circles and it's just this big, big stone that crushes everything inside the stone basin. That is an, that's an olive press. That's an olive press. And so think about this, guys. Think about it. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. You guys with me? And a lot of times they would send the kids to go to the olive trees and bring baskets of olives to the very press that, that, that Jesus would see. He would dump the olives in there and he'd see the whole process. And so you go, well, what would happen? Well, here's what I find interesting, okay? They would take all of these olives, they would dump them into this, this big stone uh, press, okay? And then they would begin to walk the millstone around and around and guess what it would do? It would then crush the olives, Once it crushed the olives, guess what would happen? Okay, this circular stone basin, it would crush the olives, and then the olive oil would come out through a little canal. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. The problem is, is that, listen, when you shake a tree, guess what falls? Twigs and other stuff fall in there. So so that was just the first pressing. But but stay with me because here's when it gets good, okay? Here's what I want you to write down. When they took the olives, they'd bring basket of olives and they'd put it in there. You guys know what I'm talking about. They'd drop it and then they'd get this millstone and they'd start walking it around and walking it around. And, and it, through the weight of the millstone, it would crush the olives. That's how we get olive oil. Do you realize that the first batch of oil that would come out would actually have a reddish hue to it? You see, here's the thing. We, we go to the store and we get olive oil and we'll, and we'll put it on there and it's clear, right? You go, oh, it's clear. And, but the very first batch off of that millstone, off of that crushing was actually red. And you go like, wow. So now you have this reddish hue oil being crushed and 
moved on. You go, wow, that's pretty cool. You go, well, what happens next? Well, something interesting happens next. That's stage one. Well, what happens when you have just a bunch of crushed olives? The oil's already, the first crushing's already out. The oil's already come out. What do you have? You just have, you just have a lot of crushed olives, right? Guess what they would do? They would take those crushed olives and make a paste that forms basically, and they would take these mats, these circular mats that are about this big, and then they would just smear it onto the mats. And they would put one mat over the other, over the other, over the other. And all of this was, was again, you guys got to understand, it wasn't just the first time because they want to get the pure olive oil out of the, out of, as best they could. So they would take this, right, and they would begin to put these burlaps or these fabrics and they would just put, and they would smear all of the paste on that. So they went from crushing to smearing and here's what I find interesting, okay? Number one, Okay, number one, guess what? There's this reddish hue that comes out. I mean, you would think, wow, the olive was green or whatever it was. Now it looks red. Okay, cool. And then you take the paste and you put it on there. But the Hebrew word, guys, for Messiah means to smear. The Messiah means to smear. And so they would take this and they would smear it on these mats. Now, the basket and the mats were stacked under these large stone columns which was called the Gethsemane. That's what it was really called, okay? Or the oil press. So you have this big, long wooden, and every time the weight would come off, it would crush those and crush those and crush those, right? You'd had three different weights, three different weights, okay? The first one, okay, you put the smear in there, and then it would crush. More oil would come out. And you go, okay, now that's the first. Now we need to take the second. And they'd let down the second one and they would crush it even more. And then they would finally say, okay, let's give full weight. Let's give full weight. We want as much as we possibly can. And so what happens at that point, guys, is that when it was pressed completely with full weight is when you got the pure oil that would come out of those olives. So not only did the first part did you just use that you got and you used a millstone and you would just crush that and it would come out red. Then you would take the paste and you put it on these burlaps and then you would crush it even more and then you would get pure oil. Well, what would you do with the remainder, right? They didn't waste anything. You know what they did? They would take the olive paste that was already crushed and they would take it and they would make soap with it. And I find that very interesting. Why? Because what does soap do? Soap cleans us, right? I hope you use soap. That's what it does. And I said, keep this in mind, guys. Keep this in mind. As we go through our journey, they would take the olive and they would use it as soap. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Now, check this out. The weight of the press, guys, was done in three different stages and three different weights. Okay? They didn't just crush everything right away. You know, they were in a big hurry. They'd take the one and they would crush it. And then they'd let it go, and then they'd take the second weight, and that was heavier. So it was done three different times, constantly crushing the poor olives. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Well, what I found very interesting is that it's not surprising that God, through the writers of the gospel, 
would place olives and olive trees in the text to be used as a metaphor for what? To explain Jesus' suffering and ultimate redemption of mankind. It all ties in. You go, why? So many people go, you know, I don't know about the Bible. Man wrote the Bible. I'm going, no, 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 no. You don't get it. You can't make this stuff up. It's God-inspired. You go, how so? I mean, think about it. He's going to use this amazing metaphor of olives and olive trees and Gethsemane, right, where Jesus starts the journey. And what does Gethsemane mean? It means what? It means crushing or olive press. That's what it means. Well, that's where we pick up our journey. So we watch this. I'm blown away. And so we're going to see Jesus being crushed like the olives by the weight of our sin in his final hours on earth. You guys know the story. Jesus has been walking with his disciples. He's been showing them all kinds of neat things. And, and, and he's been showing them, you know, he's been preaching the gospel. He's been showing them miracles and everything else, right? Well, now he's come to the Last Supper. Judas books it, right? He tells Judas, whatever you do, do quickly. And he goes and he does it. So now he's walking, and that's kind of where we pick up our story, okay? This is the beginning of our four-week series where we're going to see Jesus' journey to the cross. You ready? Matthew 26, picking it up in verse 30, notice what it says. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What's at the Mount of Olives, church? The Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Oil Pressing. Now, what blows my mind is that Jesus, again, when he's a little boy, he would know all about the pressing. He would be in there. He would see this. He would take the olives. He would dump them in. He'd see the crushing. He'd see the oil. And I wonder if with a, as a little boy, he would look at this and go, okay, one day, one day, this little olive is, is, is going to, I'm going to represent this olive for all of mankind. And so... That's where you pick it up. They go to the Mount of Olives, right? The Garden of the Oil Press. Well, check it out. We're going to pick it up in verse 31. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Now they're walking out. They sung a hymn. They're going over to the garden. And they start to sing. And Jesus looks at his guys and he says this, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. What does Jesus do? He says, Guys, listen. Listen. It's going down. Everything I've told you, remember when we would talk in Galilee and we would say, hey, uh, listen, the, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry about it. In three days, I'm going to rise again and, and it's all going to be good and I'm going to save mankind. And they're like, they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't hear. Right. And so he comes to them and he goes, as they're walking to the Mount of Olives, he says, hey, guys, listen, it's going down. All of you are going to be made to stumble because of me tonight. This is going down in the garden. He says, but after I've been raised, he says, I'm going to go. Go before you to where? Galilee, right? Everybody say Galilee. So Jesus looks at me and says, listen, okay, it's going to go down. I'm going to be crucified. In three days, I'm going to rise. And where am I supposed to meet you guys? Galilee, right? And so I find that interesting because when, we're in, when we were in Israel, right, we were driving in the bus and we were headed to the airport and our tour guide said, hey, look over to the right. That's Emmaus. That's Emmaus. Emmaus is seven miles from Jerusalem, but it's not headed in the direction of the Galilee. It's actually a little bit north, kind of looks like northwest or whatever it is. Um, and so I was thinking about that. I was thinking, wow, he told his disciples, right? 
He said, where am I going to meet you? Meet me in Galilee. They're not listening. Why? Because two of them are walking to Emmaus. And remember, Jesus meets him on the road. And he says, hey, hey, what are you guys doing? Why are you so sad? Do you remember? And one of them's like, haven't you heard everything? Right? You remember what his name was? One of his name was Cleopas. Cleopas, and that's probably why he was sad, because his mom named him Cleopas. But, but anyways, they, they were walking, and, and, and um, I mean, think about it. They, they walked to Emmaus, and they were supposed to go to Galilee, Jesus just said. Now, here's what I find interesting, right? Here's what I, uh, we're, we're in the bus, and I'm being, I'm being silly. Um, I know you guys don't get that, but I'm being silly. And, and so we're passing Emmaus, right? And I said, oh, I said, I just got heartburn. And they looked at him and they said, why? What's wrong? I said, remember, what did the disciples say? He said, wasn't it right here that our heart burned within us when he told us all of these things? And what they do? They turned around and went back to Jerusalem. But they're supposed to be going to Galilee. That's what it says in the scripture. He says, hey, but, but Peter, don't you just love Peter? How many of you can relate to Peter? Nobody? I can. Because notice what he says. Verse 36 says, Peter answered and said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. You know what Peter did? Peter's like, listen, I don't know about all these dudes right here, but I'm not going to stumble, Lord. Not me, right? And <laughs> notice what he says. And Jesus said to him, Peter, really? He says, surely I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, Lord, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. You know what the disciples says? We're with Peter. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll die with you, Lord. We're with you. You know what Peter says? Listen, Lord, I, here's the deal. Even if I have to die with you, I, I, I don't know about these guys, but I'm going to die with you, Lord. Okay, Peter, we'll see how that goes. So, now notice, they go up and then Jesus came with them. Where did they come? They came to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples. So he, get, he gathers his posse, gathers his gang around, and he says to him, guys, guys, sit right here and, and I'm going to go over yonder. It doesn't say that that's my Texas word. I'm going to go over yonder and pray, right? And he took with him who? Peter. And the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he took three guys with him, right? His inner circle. And here's what he says. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. I don't know about you guys, but this verse encourages me. You said, how so? Guys, let me point out a couple of things and I'll tell you how it encourages me. Jesus, guys, is feeling sorrowful and he's feeling really distressed. And you go, why? Because he knows, he knows what's waiting for him. He knows that the cross is this physical horror waiting to go down. He knows within, within a few short hours, guys, he's going to be in the agony of his life. You go, what else? As he walked from the temple over to the Mount of Olives, guys, he would have walked over something called the Kidron Valley, or they call it the Brook of Kidron. And you had to go over a bridge because 
And Jesus' time, they were sacrificing the lambs day and night. And so the valley or this little brook would have been filled not with water, but with blood. Sacrificial blood of the lamb from the priest. So as Jesus walked over, he would go, oh, I see the blood running down the Kidron Valley. And he would probably be thinking, that's going to be my blood soon. I'm the sacrificial lamb. So Jesus, guys, Jesus knew that his blood would flow in a sacrificial form. You go, well, why is this encouraging? Because because Jesus knows what it's like to be discouraged and to be distressed. and, And I mean, think about it. The word sorrowful in the Greek here is distressed, to be sad, to grieve, and to be in heaviness. And I think we've all faced that in our lives. We've all been really, really just kind of bummed and just like, oh. And I'm glad that I have a God who knows exactly what I'm feeling when I go to him and tell him. I mean, don't you think? I mean, here's a God that knows exactly what it means to be, Jesus, I'm just, I'm just so heavy. And he says, I know, I know how you feel. Jesus, you don't understand what I've got to face tomorrow. Yes, I do. You see, because he was fully God, but he was fully man. And the reason he was fully man is so he knows and he can sympathize with everything you're going through. All your heartaches, all the tears that nobody sees at night, all the, all the fears that you have. What is life going to offer? What's, what's my future going to be like? I don't know. I'm scared. What are the world I'm living in? And Jesus says, I know, and I've got you. I've got you. So that encourages me. That encourages me. So he, Jesus looks at his disciples back in our story, and he says to them, who? Peter, James, and John, and he said to them, my soul is exceedingly far, sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Simple command, right? The New Living Translation says it like this, if you're taking note. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You know what Jesus just said? He said, the crushing is beginning. Well, pastor, he's not even near the cross. No, it starts right here. The journey to the cross starts with this. Guys, he says, now, now, please, please, just if the crushing, just stay with me, guys. Stay awake. Stay awake, guys. Now, let's jump. I want to show you something really cool. Stay, put, put your finger here and go over to Luke real quick. Luke chapter 22, because this is just going to blow your mind. This is going to blow your mind. Same story, Luke's account. Luke wasn't actually there, so he's writing it from a doctor's perspective, okay? Luke 22, picking it up in verse 39, same story, but notice how, notice how he gives us just some, some validity to the scripture. You ready? He says, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. So it was a place that the disciples knew well. And the disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. So what were the instructions, church? Watch and pray. Be awake and pray. Be awake. Watch out. You Don't enter into temptation. Watch and pray. And I think it's good instructions for us. You want a nugget of truth right here? What are the two things that the enemy of your soul wants to get you to do? Fall asleep and quit praying. 
You go, what do you mean? The enemy of our soul, church, listen, wants to get us as individuals and us as a church to just, just kind of, hey, everything's okay. We're just going to, we'll be all right. And get us to sleep instead of be aware of what's going on in the world. Why? Because when we realize that time is short, then we live our lives to glorify God every single day. Well, Pastor Ben, seriously, dude, everybody's been saying time is short from when I can. But listen, listen, here's the thing you need to understand. Everything prophetically has been set in place. There's nothing that has to happen except the return of Jesus Christ. We have to keep our eyes open. What's the second thing the enemy wants to do? He wants you to get, he wants you to get lazy in prayer. He wants you to just go, ah, here's why. Here's why we get lazy in prayer. Here's why we don't pray. God, I don't even know. You might be too busy in Jerusalem or something. I don't know you're busy. I just, you don't want to attend to my little things, my little needs. And no, God says, no, 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 no. Listen, I want you to pray. I want you to talk to me. I want to answer you. The problem is, guys, in my life, maybe not yours, but in my life, there's a lot of voices and a lot of, a lot of people trying to get my attention. You got the car radio and you've got this going on, you got this going on, you got a lot of stuff going on, and sometimes we need to take time to turn the world off. Can I get an amen? And listen to what God is saying. God, what are you saying? Prayer, guys, is not a monologue. I'm going to tell Jesus everything I want and everything I fear and everywhere I'm going, and then I'm just going to go on my way. It's a dialogue. You're listening to him back and forth, back and forth. Just a nugget of truth, but he tells us to watch and pray. Verse 41, still in Luke, right? Verse 41, you ready? And when he had withdrawn them from about a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed, and he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Do you guys see it? Do you see it? You go, what? First and foremost, here's what Jesus said. Listen, if there's any other way for them to be saved... If there's any other way them to be saved without me going to the cross, please, right now, Lord. If there's another way for Adam to be saved, right now is the time to give it to me, God. Listen, if Bryce can be saved by works or, or, or Ben can be saved by just preaching the gospel, any other way. Listen, he says, there's no other way. He says, nevertheless, the only way to be saved, church, is through Jesus Christ. That's the first thing, right? He's asking his dad, he's asking the father, God, if there's any other way. And don't you think God would oblige the son and say, okay, no, 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 you're okay. Um, listen, they can be saved through good works. They can be saved through their heritage. They can be saved through religion. They can just be saved. Any other. Don't worry, Jesus. He says, but nevertheless, what does he say? Not my will be done, but yours. He goes, there is no other way. And he says, and then he went back to pray even more, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. You guys remember the oil press? What color is it when it first comes out? Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, wow. 
Right now, church, listen, Jesus is being crushed under the weight of what's about to take place. He's being, that's, that's the crushing. That's the crushing. Now, again, Luke wasn't there, and he gives us, he gives us it like a doctor, right? Notice what he says. Then his sweat became like, because Luke wasn't there, but it was like drops. He said, whatever it was, it was red, and if it was blood, that's what it came from. Wow. I don't think, I mean, I've been stressed out in my life, but I don't ever been so stressed out or worried that I was sweating blood. But right now, under the weight of our sin, why? Because Jesus just said, there's no other way for you to be saved except me going to the cross. Guys, it was, it was ninth grade, 10th grade. God, if I'm good, I'll go to heaven. If I'm bad, I'll go to hell. That's not going to cut it. Ben, that's not going to cut it. Being good, that's just, that's just wrong. Because we're never good enough. It's only putting our faith and trust in our Savior. And that's what he's saying. And he goes back and he says, I wonder, I wonder, as Jesus was praying and he looks down and he sees this red sweat falling from him, I wonder if his mind went back to the olive press that he used to see there in Nazareth. We know that the crushing has begun. Let's go back to Matthew's gospel and finish up. Matthew 26, verse 39, notice the prayer of Jesus. He says, he went a little farther, fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he says, not as I will, but as you will. Now catch this, guys. It was at the garden of the oil pressing that these events suddenly overtook Jesus. Okay? Why? Because he, he was just up at the Last Supper. He was just having a great time with everyone else, and, he was, and, he was, and they sang a song. And now something has changed. What was it? Well, part of the agony of Jesus, guys, was due to the knowledge that he was going to be facing this unimaginable experience on the cross. This extremely painful and humiliating point or form of death. That's the first thing. Jesus knows, oh my, oh my. Guys, not even to mention the scourging. You guys know what the scourging was all about, right? It's where they took a cat of nine tails full of bone and glass and whipped his body to shreds. Even before that, he's going, okay, the cross, the cross. The most horrible pressing upon that Jesus would experience, of course, would be the oppressive feeling of bearing the weight of all human sin. Think about that. The pressing began when he said, okay, he's going to take on, listen, he's taking on our sins, all of mankind. 
And here's what you need to understand. It wasn't just what you did today. It was your past sin. Praise God, that's forgiven. It's your present sin. Praise God, that's forgiven. And all the future sin of you being in Christ, is that's going to be put on the weight of Christ. It's all gone. So when Jesus said, it's finished, guys, it was finished. This one's free. It's not even my notes, but I feel like the Lord wants me to say, listen, if it's finished and your sins are forgiven, all of them, past, present, and future, why are you holding on to them? Why do you keep reminding Jesus about everything that you've done in your past or in your present? Why do you, listen, it, move forward. It's all gone. It was finished at the cross. Well, what else? Why else is Jesus feeling this, that he's, he's sweating great drops of blood? Well, it was the, all of, uh, basically the, the weight of all human sin. But you know what else? It was being separated from his father. That's never happened before. He realizes that at one point, guys, while he's on the cross being crushed, that his father's going to turn away. He's going to be separated from him. Well, it started. So then, verse 40, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said, Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? And don't you feel like Peter? Jesus says, hey, listen, listen, it's all about to go down. Come and pray with me. And what do you find, Peter? <laughs> Peter's just crashed out, right? He's, he's asleep. And, and I feel like that at times, you know? And he says, Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter to temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, Father, this cup, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, he says, your will be done. Then he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And so he left them. He went away and prayed a third time saying the same words. You guys want a nugget of truth here? How many times do they have to press the olive paste to get the pure oil? And yet it was three times in the garden that Jesus went to pray. He comes back, guys, what's up? Huh? What's the matter? What's the matter? What's going on? Okay, you, you go to sleep. I'm going to go pray again. Could you not watch with me one hour? Now the journey begins. Verse 46. He says, okay, guys, get up. Let's go. It's going down. He says, see, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12, with a great multitude of swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders and the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one and sees him. Now this blows me away. Why? Do you know that Judas, Judas was Jesus' BFF? He loved Judas. And can you imagine? There he is. He's already in agony. He's already realizing that the weight of our sin is going to be upon him. The weight of being separated from the Father is upon him. He looks up and now he sees a close friend coming to betray him. Church, let me ask you this. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody you love? 
Jesus knows how you feel. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody you thought you'd never be betrayed on? And Jesus knows how that feels. And here's the thing about it, right? He sees them coming. And you go, well, why did Judas have to, why did Judas have to give Jesus a kiss? Here's why. Listen, when he was in Nazareth, Jesus did something that was just incredible, okay? He went into the synagogue there, and he opened the scroll. He found the place in Isaiah. He said, and he said, he's, here's what he said. He said, the Lord has anointed me to preach, and he gives all the description of the Messiah, okay? And then the Bible says that he rolled up the scroll. He went and sat down, and he tells the people, today, the scripture is fulfilled in me. You know what that means? It was mic drop right there. Boom. He said, I am the Messiah. You know what they did? Instead of going, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. You know what they did in Nazareth? They tried to take him out to a hill and throw him and cast him over. But the Bible says that Jesus just was a normal guy and that he just kind of walked through the crowd. So, so when you think of Jesus, you and I, we love him so much that it's Jesus, but back in the day, he wasn't floating or anything. He was just like a normal guy that he just walked right by them. Who are we trying to get out? Jesus. And here he just walks right by. The same way, they didn't know who he was in the garden. And so, and so Judas has to go, hey, the guy that you need to arrest is the guy I kiss. It was just a greeting. Notice, verse 49. Immediately, he went up to Jesus and he said, Greetings, Rabbi. Everybody say that. Greetings, Rabbi. You go, why do I have to say that? Because you know that is the most, that is the most, ah, what's the best way to say this? Hypocritical, hollow words there are. This is, this is his friend. This is his, here's the guy he followed. He's, he's a disciple. And he comes up and he says, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him, betrayed by a kiss. But notice what Jesus, how Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, friend. That's such a sharp contrast. Listen, when somebody tries to hurt me with a Judas kiss, I want to return love for hate. I don't always do because I'm like, oh, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. But, but Jesus looks at him and he says, friend, why have you come? Of course, then they came and laid hands on him and took him. And I'm thinking with clubs and spears, I mean, Jesus was just like, you know, he had a bunch of fishermen. They didn't know, any, they didn't know anything about war. They were fishermen. Ooh, we're going to throw this net on you, you know? I mean, right? You want you look look what happens. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Do we know who that was? It was Peter, wasn't it? Why? Cuz all the other disciples are so kind. They're like, "Hey, one of the guys, you know, I don't know." You know what John says? It's Peter. It's Peter, right? You ever have a friend throw you under the bus, full extension? (laughs) That was John. John's like, I'm not playing around. It was Peter. Peter did this. And so Peter, right? You know, why did he cut off his ear? Because he's a fisherman, right? Give me my sword. 
He's probably going for the head, some people say, right? And got the ear. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away in its place. For all those who take the sword shall bear by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot pray to my father? And he will provide for me more than 12 legions of angels. Well, how then can the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? He said, I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you didn't seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Notice this last one. You ready? Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. You know what I put here? You can count on Jesus' words. He started this dialogue with his guy. Listen, all of you are going to leave me tonight. I get it. The hour has come. No, Lord, we won't leave you. We're going to die for you. Yeah, me too, Lord. Me too. And what does the last verse said? As soon as they saw him coming with clubs and swords and Peter did his little deal, boom, they split. They split. So I want to close with this, guys. I want to close with this. This is the first part, okay? This is the first journey. This is the, this is the millstone of crushing. There he is. And now they've come. This is just the start of the journey to the cross. The first crushing has taken place. But in order to get the greatest use out of the olives, guess what they need? They need to crush him even more. Guys, Jesus Christ will endure more for our sake. Jesus needs to go through a crushing even more. Why? Do you remember what they do with the paste? What do they do? They use it for soap. Jesus is going to, he's going to do what? He's going to be crushed even more so that we can be made clean from the inside. Now, let me leave you with this, okay? Next week, guys, we're going to see, we're going to see Jesus on trial. We're going to see this mock trial that was just bogus. And then we're going to see an actual beating, right? How do you get the olives from the tree? You got to beat it. And we're going to see this actual beating, the scourging. But let me leave you with this, Okay? Let me leave you with this. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says something very interesting that I thought, man, I need to leave them with some, um, I need to leave them with some hope. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Speaking of Christ, headed towards the cross, it says this, Therefore, we are also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's why. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy 
that was set before him endured the cross. What? What joy is there in the cross? What joy comes out of crushing the Savior? I'm just going, wait, 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 wait. We need to look to Jesus for who, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So, so listen, the cross isn't joyful, is it? I mean, think about, think about that. Think about the scourging. Think about his flesh being ripped. Think about the pressing. Think about the blood. Think about the crown of thorns, and then think about him being nailed to a cross for you and for me. What joy is in that? What is Jesus talking about? You know what the joy was? You know what the joy was that he so endured that cross? The joy was you. He looked to you, and that brought him joy. It was the joy. He goes, oh, my people will be saved. You see, because it's going to be 2017, and I'm going to see, I'm going to see a slew of people who are sitting in a church service, and I'm going to see how their hearts are growing closer to me. And that's the joy, and that's why I can take and do the cross, and that's why I can be crushed in the olive press, in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why I can be crushed. Guys, you're the joy. You're his joy. Let me leave you with this encouragement. Church, listen to me. Listen. If you are in Christ today and you love God, he's well pleased with you. God's not mad at you. He's well pleased. He's going, I love them. I love them. He's well pleased with you. You don't want to miss next week, guys, as we continue on this journey to the cross. Jesus is crushing. It was because my sin, my sin, your sin, and two things speak volumes to me, guys. Number one, I don't want to take my sin lightly. Oh, I'm going to sin and listen, and, and it's okay because I'm forgiven and we're under grace. It, it crushed my Savior, my sin. But pastor, we're sinners. I know we're going to mess up. And Jesus knows that. But I don't want to do it deliberately. I don't want to just step out and be, do it deliberately because I know what I know the price that it costs the, the, the God that I love. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this, guys. The weight of our sin crushed the Lord. And that's why he gives you the gospel and he says, hey, if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, today's the day. Today's the day. Well, what do I have to do, Pastor? Guys, all you have to do is surrender once and for all. Because I get it. There's this inner civil war going on. Should I, shouldn't I? Should I, shouldn't I? Should I, shouldn't I? 
And here's the bottom line. The bottom line is you need to just say yes once and for all. Just once and for all. Lord, just today I'm yours. I want to put to bed this this inner civil war of am I saved, am I not saved, am I saved, am I not saved. I want today just to be that defining moment that I say yes to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. And Lord, it is a sobering text, God, that you would be crushed. And the purest of oil would come out of you, God, so that we can be clean. And we confess our sins to you now. Forgive us, Lord. And my heart's desire, God, is that every one of us in this church would be saved. Every one of us would be fully surrendered to you. And so I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would do a work, God, if need be. With every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here that says, Pastor, will you pray for me? I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I want to be right with God. I want to give him 100%. I'm ready to, I'm ready to follow him. If that's you, will you just raise your hand so I can pray for you real quick? You're just saying, God, I surrender completely. I'm yours. Just lift up your hand so I can pray for you. just want to give you an opportunity real quick. Just go, God, God, it's just me and you. Me and you. Anyone else? Anyone? Ah, oh, Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you that we're saved. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb. We thank you that we can run to you and call in a time of need. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.